Welcome to the party today on the Minnesota Football Party. We tell you who's winning training camp, and we preview actual real football with Minnesota Vikings playing against the Las Vegas Raiders. That's coming up on the Minnesota Football Party. Let's meet the guests. Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman on Twitter. He's the co-host and producer of Superior Sports Talk on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Luke Braun is in the state of Minnesota once again. He'll be at practice today. He's at Luke Braun NFL, and he's the host of Lockdown Vikings. And Arif has a snide comment to make about Luke Braun's sunglasses. That's Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter of The Athletic. I would never. You know, I don't. I I would never. I don't, you don't I, disparage I, people commenting on people's appearances. I just feel like that that is out of line. We're above that here on the Minnesota Football Party. Uh, before we start, I want to remind people to subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota, and through that you can get a diverse network of shows: Superior Sports Talk, The Ron Johnson Show the Minnesota Football Party. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. And if you could, leave a five-star rating um, on iTunes. That would be outstanding. Rate, leave a review. You can make fun of Luke's sunglasses. Uh, that's, that's fine with me. We're, yeah, we're above making fun of people, but our listeners do not right. have to be. Yeah. We don't hold them to that standard. Uh, also, Luke in, in the same way that I would not make fun of someone's appearance, I would also not restrict anyone's speech by preventing them from making fun of Luke's appearance. Sounds like you would have appreciated Elon Musk running Twitter. Mm. Enlightened centrist, Arif Hassan. <laughs> just, I just, just believe very strongly in free speech. <laughs> <laughs> um, we begin with a little Vikings Raiders talk. 72 hours from now, we will have real football to discuss. Luke Inman, uh, to my right, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll start with you. Uh, what are you hoping to glean from Vikings Raiders over the weekend? And is there anything to glean in a game where we may or may not see any starters whatsoever? What are you looking for? Yeah, Kellen Mon, 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 it's going to be on everyone's mind for good reason. I'm going to go deeper in the weeds here a little bit. We're going to see, like you said, probably a lot of second and really a lot of third team. And I want to know where some of these positional battles are at. I know who the coaches have ranked higher on the depth chart, but, you know, wide receiver five and six, it gets talked about a lot. We kind of know who BC Johnson is at this point, but is it Myron Mitchell or Tristan Jackson making more plays with their opportunities? Which third team linebacker gets first crack at special teams? Luigi Valane or Zach McLeod? And who actually looks better when they're out there too? And special teams, who can make a name for themselves in that third phase when we get into live action and help themselves stick to this roster after cut day? This is how a lot of these bubble guys survive the cutdowns. We know that. How about kick and punt return? Which guy or two first gets the first and second crack at the job? That tells you who the coaches have ranked higher, but who can actually look more comfortable and natural back there fielding punts? Not a lot of uh, experience back there in that punt return job at all. So that's going to be intriguing. A lot of good positional battles going on in this back end of the roster. Once you get past that first and second team, which seems a little bit more set in stone, these last 15, 30 guys, they're fighting for their jobs right now. I know it may seem boring to some, but, you know, you get into week 12, your team's banged up. 
you're, you're, you're down to your third string linebacker, right tackle. It's the fourth quarter, third and two. You need a big play. Sometimes these are the names that end up winning or losing you some ball games in the NFL. So it's important to keep close watch on these battles going on every practice, every rep, every preseason snap, because I think they all matter. Yeah, I would agree with that. Arif Hassan, um, you know, Luke brought up Kellen Mond. Mond, Mond is going to be on our mind. Uh, is Mond, is this going to be a half-and-half half quarterback split with only three quarterbacks on the roster? Cousins might not play. Probably going to have a, be a big dose of the quarterback. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to be asking a lot of questions about, uh, you know, whether or not the starters are going to play, you know, later on today when we talk to Kevin O'Connell. But, um, you know, the Rams have not played starters in preseason, so there's a really good chance that we're not going to see that, which would mean, you know, a quarterback split. I don't know if we're going to see Sean Mannion with the twos and Kellen Mond with the twos, or if they're going to say, hey, this one quarterback's going to play with the second team, this other quarterback's going to play with the third team. Um, but I, I think that – hold on. You need to clear your throat, man. You need to cough it out. Yeah, that was a man. major frog. That was a yeah. major frog. Good Lord. We're not live, right? <laughs> we're live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> He's getting Holy choked crap. up. This is an important quarterback battle going on behind the scenes. It's nuts, right? <laughs> it's just emotion. Arif is so emotionally my, bought into Kellen Mond. My my voice was like perfect when I was dunking on Luke Braun. What's going on? Hold on. You I got water it. too. So it was important when it mattered. That's your fault. Really? No, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Vikings desperately want Kellen Mond to be their QB too. That's why they keep giving him all these opportunities and they put him as the co-backup on the depth chart just to make him feel good. But it's clear that he's kind of playing himself out of that discussion, even though they want him to be that guy. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Luke Braun, how do you, how do you see that? Well, that would be wishful thinking, wouldn't it? I honestly, watching this game, I might just try to look away from Kellen Mond whenever I can. Based on what I've seen in the last couple of days in camp, it's really ugly. I, I'm more interested in some of the position battles that mm. like, we don't know as much about. And I think actions speak louder than words in a lot of ways, you know? We've, we've had Kevin O'Connell say a lot of things about, like, Garrett Bradbury and kind of try to gas him up, try to say, well, it's not that bad, or it's this is, you got to understand this or that about the situation. If the starters aren't playing, will the struggling starters play? Who might end up in a competition? Or does this end up being the time when Chris Reed plays with with the first team center? Um, or I guess with the twos at center. He gets all the reps at center. Does he have a really good game? Is that what where a competition starts to crop up? Um, and I'm looking at that in a bunch of different places. There are wide receiver competitions that are fascinating, especially at the bottom of the roster, running back competitions that are fascinating. I'm going to watch those running backs in pass pro a lot. If the Raiders ever blitz. How do Kenny Wongu and Alexander Madison and Ty Chandler pick those guys up? And whichever one of those guys struggles, I think is going to have a much harder time getting reps based on just, uh, camp rushing attempts where everybody's going 90% at the most. It's a lot harder to evaluate that than it is to evaluate. Can you identify the right guy and pick him up in an actual live situation? That's the kind of stuff I'll be looking at. So I've got a list that I started. I want you all to add or subtract. You can shout names out if you want, just, you know, anarchy style. Uh, these are offensive players that I'm intrigued to watch on Sunday. Zach Davidson, Amir Smith-Marset, Jalen Naylor, and Ed Ingram. Who am I leaving off the list that you guys want to see? Oh, that's Lewis Seen. 
Offense. This is an offensive list. Offense. Oh, offense. offense. Turn your ears yeah. on. Yeah, jeez. No. <laughs> you know, uh, one guy that was brought in, Albert Wilson, I haven't really heard his name much at all. And when we get into this yeah, wide receiver five and six, maybe they'll keep seven. I'm not sure. But I know he started to field some punts, was involved in special teams a little bit. But it seems like he's starting to get nudged out a little bit by Tristan Jackson, Myron Mitchell, Jalen Naylor. It just seems like this is what he goes in the preseason. He's going to go off for seven catches and 88 yards and a touchdown. And then all of a sudden make this a, a you know, a stronger case again. And, and maybe that's a name or more so a group that I'm, I'm going to be honing in on is that wide receiver battle. Once you get into that second and third team. I think uh, it, it makes sense to pay attention to Johnny Munt. Now, I don't know if we're going to see uh, Johnny Munt on the field. You know, the question of will the starters start is a question that kind of, you know, doesn't tell us anything about you know whether Irv Smith is considered a starter for the purposes of the conversation about you know the preseason, right? But I would expect Johnny Munt to play, right? And I I kind of want to see how he's used, you know, whether or not that's going to be an Irv Smith role or his own role or whatever. It's kind of irrelevant to me. More importantly, I just kind of want to see if they trust him uh, to be you know a point of attack run blocker, if they trust him to be uh, you know a seam stretcher down the field, if they trust him to just kind of win matchups underneath. Uh, and, and what they want him to do, you know, they're, they're pretty excited about what he can do as a run blocker, you know, strength there. I think primarily we kind of understand him to be a potential pass catcher. Um, and, you know, if he's as versatile as they keep on telling us, you know, we'll probably see it in the game. You know, he's probably going to play a pretty important role down the road, especially if Irv Smith isn't ready to play right away. Um, but also just, you know, in case the Vikings want to mix up the formations, because kind of one of the things that makes the Vikings, you know, kind of an intriguing team is how many different personnel groupings they can have and still field a strong five, uh, you know, skill position player set. If Johnny Munt can join that group of five potential players on the field, uh, that's going to be really big for their ability to kind of, you know, chase matchups and, and hurt teams that have to play, you know, another linebacker or another safety to deal with two tight ends. I got and a big source. They can run Johnny Munt. all of the same plays. Oh, you got a source. I've got a big source on Johnny Munt, but this is actually uh, to this is totally tongue in cheek. So I'd rather have the analysis from Luke first, and then I'll tell you my <laughs> stupid thing. The source. Um, is I was just gonna say they run all of, and this is what the Rams did. I'm sure this is what the Vikings did. They have all of their core plays can come out of all of those personnel packages. So we're not going to see a situation of, oh, you know, the tight ends are all hurt. Now they can't run the, the two tight end plays. The two tight end plays are the same as the 11 personnel plays. And it's just kind of, that's the illusion of complexity. It's just about denying information to the defense. Now they can't tell what play you're going to run based on what formation it is. But there's also kind of a, a weird backdoor depth advantage to it that you might be able to um to get if you have a lot of those personnel packages available and if those players are playing well enough to justify putting them on the field well this changes everything for me about johnny munt i got somebody in my dms um saying johnny is from my area his family are big farmers and were major customers at my dad's propane company so he's, he's a take, walnut take, farmer that the, the, the johnny munt family uh, are huge <laughs> walnut farmers. That sounds like a joke, but like someone like told me this extensively at practice. They're like, "Yeah, huge walnut farming family goes back." Are you sure it was walnuts and not almonds? Because almond is the big like <clears throat> export from from Northern California. Luke Braun, you know sure, more it's about almonds. This. I don't care. They're nuts. I don't. I wasn't digging too deep. And Johnny Munt, locker him... room guy, community guy, <laughs> media guy, walnut guy, big nut guy. Walnut guy. They call big them almonds. 
in Northern California, not almonds. Did you know that? Uh, now I hate Northern California even more. Ammon, like salmon, is how they justify it. I mean, Luke always hated Northern California. That's not new. I'm, I live in Southern California. I have to. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Luke, you wanted to talk about defensive players to watch. My list comprising the defensive players, Andrew Booth Jr., obvious. Louis Seen, who you mentioned, obvious. Brian Asamoah and Patrick Jones the second. Uh, anybody further down the depth chart, Luke Braun, that you are compelled to watch on Sunday? I want to see if I can get anything out of Jalen Twyman because so far he does not look close to rosterable. I've only seen a couple days. Maybe there's some other stuff that I've yeah. missed, but he, for all the hype that I had, I, it doesn't look like he's playing like himself. He, he's bull rushing a lot. He's trying to play a power game, and maybe that's what the coaches had him do. Maybe he thinks he's got to prove something. Um, maybe he's just trying to develop that part of his game. But I want to see him get in that preseason game and do the quickness, do the Aaron Donald style of play that he's always admired, um, and not try to be something he's not, because if he continues to try to be something he's not, I think he's going to be out the door pretty quick. You're saying he's Plays not like John Randall. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I just like the, no, the he playing should play like, like that. Comment, right, but the playing like himself comment refers to a style of play that he had like three years ago, right? Like it's been a bit since he's played I mean, the yeah. kind of way that would generate the hype that you know made him an interesting prospect in the first place. Yeah, the Aaron Donald relationship so though is fascinating. That made you interesting. Oh right. yeah, no, his admiration of Aaron Donald is 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 genuinely a really cool story. Yeah. Um, Luke Inman, defensive players that uh, can are going to catch your eye, perhaps on Sunday. Well, I don't. I, I'm hoping it'll catch my eye. Uh, it's Luke Brown's BFF at Caleb Evans. Uh, I saw that Chris Boyd was ahead of him on the depth chart for now, and I haven't been out to camp yet. Hopefully, make it out there today. It sounds like he's flashed a little bit with the twos and the threes when given some opportunities, specifically in one on ones. I'm interested to see just how far along he still is as far as maybe making that number four cornerback in the depth chart right now. So I think we all, you know, are expecting some good things over the next few years, but I'm, I'm looking forward to his first live game action to see him against some different op opponents, because it sounds like when given the opportunity, he's made some plays. He doesn't look lost out there like some rookies that come in, but just how far along is he and how close is he to Chris Boyd to steal in that number four spot? Um, I'll, I'll definitely circle that name for sure on Sunday. Momentarily, we're going to tell everyone who's winning training camp but first gotta tell you about built bars i just finished my latest box of built bar puffs and i am so sad because they really are one of life's greatest joys and without them i am lost uh because they are delicious indulgent uh delectable fluffy light textured uh healthy bars that taste just like cookie dough they've got 100 percent chocolate they have only 160 calories and 15 grams of protein. They've got all new cookie dough chunk puffs as well. I had a box of those and I absolutely adored them. So if you run to built.com, you can snag a box for you and your family and maybe a second box for yourself and a third box just to put um, on the, in the back of the cabinet. Uh, it'll be a perfect treat or you can find a really good hiding place. Just hoard them for yourself. Built Bars. Go to built.com, promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your order, promo code LOCKED15.
It's a four-minute drill, gentlemen. A minute each to plead your case. The question today, which player's winning training camp? Um, we begin with, let's say it's Arif Hassan. Starts off. You oh, get boy. one minute. I'll have the timer going, and I'll tell you when your time <laughs> is done. Ready, get set, go. Uh, I'll say Cameron Dancer is the player that's winning training camp right now. I think we all entered camp with the assumption that even though Cameron Dancer was going to be at the top of the depth chart playing with the ones, it was going to be Andrew Booth who eventually starts week one, takes a spot. I mean, and, and he's, you know, a remarkably talented player, was going to be a first-round pick if not for the injuries. But Dantzler has had a phenomenal camp. I think a lot of people, I think fairly so, were disappointed with his level of play, especially in, in high-level situations. But coming off of a, a number of, of, of really excellent practices where he's been able to generate pass deflections against Kirk Cousins while covering Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne, while covering basically any route. He's been able to win deep downfield. He's been able to win against comeback routes. He's been able to win against square ends. He's been able to win against fades. He's been able to generate interceptions. He's been able to force fumbles. I mean, he's had a phenomenal camp at times. At times, he looks like he might even be better than Patrick Peterson. I don't think that's the case, but the fact that he's been able to put that up there, force himself into the conversation to be a starter, I think tells us he's the one winning training camp, especially because a couple of years he's got a contract Time. Uh, coming up. Luke Braun. I definitely agree with Dantzler because he was the one that had the most to lose with a bad camp. Like He could have ended up benched if he came out and sucked, and instead he came out and solidified his place in the starting lineup. Um, but in the interest of, of throwing more names out there, I want to throw out Christian Derisaw, who seems to have taken a big step forward. There's that Trent Williams thing. Now, nobody in the Vikings wanted to say he's Trent Williams right now, but they did say he looks like he might be Trent Williams soon, which is still like a really, really <laughs> bold thing to say. And I'm not familiar enough with Trent Williams's game in particular to know if that's a good comp or not, but... I've seen him do a lot of really great stuff, in particular in recovery, in reps that didn't start out well, but where he could flip his hips, go make a comeback, get himself back in front of the guy, or in some cases, Ten. just throw the dude out the club. He got Denarius Robinson on the ground after getting spun, just pushed him over, got him on the ground, win the rep, pancake, boom. Dude's killing it. Time. I'll kick it over to Luke Inman. Well, first of all, love the Dantzler hype that we're hearing. Sounds like he had another great day of practice yesterday. K.J. Osborne's got to be near the top, too. Hype is real. Maybe looking at a guy on the verge of a 1,000-yard receiving, double-digit touchdowns as a wide receiver. Three, that's pretty incredible. But Luke Brown stole mine. I got to go with Derisaw again. I got to give him some love because I called him out on our show, me and Reggie's show, a few weeks ago as a guy that I don't think it's safe to assume just – we're all assuming that he's going to go out there and be great, but I needed to see him go out there and prove it. And he's certainly done that and more, as Luke said. He's checked all the boxes every practice, holding it down against Hunter and Zedarius, two of the best in the biz. NFL Network, as Luke mentioned, comes out, coaches see shades of Trent Williams in his game. But just when I watch him, too, out on the field, he looks bigger. He came out of Virginia Tech with all the athleticism, but to see him bulk up, put a little bit more of an anchor, and even the upper body strength, great sign that he's ready to hold his own on Ten. the island against bigger power rushers in the second year take that big leap and that's exciting for vikings fans because it feels like we're one good season away from derisaw being good that we finally Time. have two good bookend left tackles or tackles uh and we haven't been able to say that in what five six years yeah stole my thunder a little bit with dantzler but i was gonna go with anybody named cameron because i think cameron bynum has also been a big winner by thus far stiff arming lewis seen 
for that starting role. I think we went in assuming that Dantzler would be threatened and maybe passed by Andrew Booth and that Bynum would be threatened and passed by Lewis Seen. And thus far, I don't think it's a major competition. I think Dantzler has entrenched himself <laughs> as a starter, and I think the people were foolish to be giving up on him when he was ranked 16th and 22nd amongst corners in his first two seasons in the NFL. Those are really good numbers and were definitely biased against some of his late-game meltdowns. But we also forget that Cameron Bynum was just transitioning to safety for the first time ever last year and that he played brilliantly in the two games and the team handpicked him to be sort of their safety of the future. So I'm a big fan of Bynum. I'm a big fan of Dantzler, and I think they're both starters week one. And that's the four-minute drill. Uh, today, it's Thursday, Ron Johnson of the Ron Johnson Show will be our guest of honor when he joins momentarily. But until then, how about some of these depth chart observations? The Vikings release their unofficial depth chart on their website. Sometimes this can be a little vanilla, maybe not 100% true. Looking at it, though, I felt like the names in the places where they were sort of matched the eye test for the most part. Um, couple big observations that I, I made from it. And, and Luke, you mentioned this. Albert Wilson, kind of buried. Uh, he's behind Naylor. He's behind Tristan Jackson. He's behind Dan Chisena. And if you're behind Dan Chisena at this point, uh, you're not in a good place. So Albert Wilson, kind of invisible. Uh, and Myron Mitchell in the top six receivers. I think Myron Mitchell maybe making a run at a Mr. Mankato title, if he can have a big preseason. Uh, other observations, guys. Luke Braun, what would you make of the depth chart? Yeah, th that's the first thing that jumped out to me. And I think I agree. It does kind of match what I've seen. Like, Albert Wilson, of all the wide receivers, looks like the one I would least ask to, like, run a route and rely on it. <laughs> he also dropped a do-or-die pass in the end zone in a two-minute drill with twos yesterday. So that kind of solidified. Like, he just is being outplayed right now by Myron Mitchell and Tristan Jackson in no uncertain terms. And those two guys are doing well enough. They might just go ahead and earn themselves a roster spot, with especially with Dan Chisena, who I kind of had penciled in as getting a roster spot on special teams, but he hasn't been playing. He's been shut down. He's not participating. And so that does kind of open the door for one of these guys to sort of sneak their way in. And they've been playing well enough. Tristan ja Jackson has been a favorite target of both the quarterbacks on the twos and he's been really effective in doing a lot of making a lot of plays Arif Hassan um who is Jonathan Bullard and what is he in the realm of football what is he who is he because he was the backup yeah, defensive I, I was I was gonna I was gonna that he that was gonna be my answer to kind of one of the things that stood out so I'm glad you brought it up uh Jonathan yeah. Bullard is a you know former defensive end for Florida uh, when the Chicago Bears drafted him in the third round, by the way, he had a really remarkable um, set of athletic testing. You know, they decided to move him to three technique. I mean, he was a bigger body, I think about 280 pounds. So it made a lot of sense to move him to kind of that pass rushing tackle position. Um, he has moved around a little bit. He's been a little bit of a disappointment. Um, he's not coming from Chicago. I want to say he's coming from San Francisco or Miami or, you know, another place. Um, but, you know, when the Vikings brought him in, they, they brought him in to become a defensive end, which in this system is between kind of the, you know, strong side defensive end edge rushing role um, that he was playing at Florida and the three technique role that he was playing uh, with uh, Chicago. You know, his ability to generate pass rush pressure, I think, is something that the Vikings really valued. Um, and I'm actually kind of excited to see him a little bit further up on the depth chart than, you know, we saw generally speaking in the rotations throughout camp because 
you know, the guys that were playing that second team defensive line, and I wrote this down in my most recent notebook, were pretty disappointing, right? You know, I, I didn't see much from James Lynch. Luke already mentioned Jalen Twyman not really doing much. Uh, and then, you know, in nose tackle, they would rotate a bunch of different guys. Sometimes it's Tyree Stevenson, sometimes Julian Taylor, sometimes T.J. Smith. Either way, we're not seeing pass rush production from a lot of those guys. I mean, I do like T.Y. McGill, story for another time. But Jonathan Bullard actually has been, among other pass rushers, somebody who's been a little bit more productive against the second team than the guys that I expected to win that spot. And, you know, with the fact that Asesio Demewo is a developmental guy, it might take a little bit of time before he can be, you know, an effective um, you know, contributor, having somebody like Jonathan Bullard, who has the ability to potentially contribute right away, you know, I think that that, you know, could be a really good thing given, you know, his size, speed profile. Luke Inman, depth chart takeaways. Well, usually there's no big surprises at the starters and there really wasn't here. I guess the only notable thing that uh, caught my eye was, I guess when Harrison Phillips was brought in, I kind of just assumed that he would plug in that five tech and Dalvin would be the nose and we all knew they would be probably interchangeable anyways, but just to see Harrison Phillips at the nose and Delvin at the five tech, you guys have been out to practice. Is that how it's been most of the time? The majority of camp has Phillips taken those nose reps, what, 70, 80% of the time? Um, or did that surprise you guys at all as well? Uh, in my yeah, observation, so Harrison... it's like 60-40. Yeah, 70-30. Yeah. Okay, so kind of a 50-50 split. So probably what we assume that they'll still be pretty interchangeable as far as maybe if, you know, Donatel want to move either of them around to the nose or the five tech. They they can both do that, it sounds like. But so far, maybe 60-40 split, it sounds like. that That's what Arif mentioned. Sam, were you going to say the same thing? Yeah, I was going to say that I asked Tomlinson directly. I said, "Are you do you feel like you are interchangeable with all three of those, you know, defensive line spots and he said yeah definitely um I think he views himself as sort of a, a utility player you know on that defensive line so that that's good to hear and like you know last year losing Michael Pierce for a third of the season half of the season it was pretty big to have Dalvin Tomlinson available to play that nose so I I'm sure he'll be there at some point um that would that would be my gut instinct that he would be sort of the the de facto backup in that spot even if he's not listed as it um, mm -hmm. on the depth chart. Yeah, so that was worth noting, I guess. And then backup nose tackle as well. TJ Smith listed as the backup nose. Maybe not so much because he's been anything super special, but no one else like James Lynch or T.Y. McGill, like Luke Brown mentioned, has done enough there. But I just haven't heard the name TJ Smith much at all during camp. So I thought that was interesting. You brought up Jonathan Bullard. Guy picked up on what? I think a vet men. He bounced around from team to team ahead of James Lynch, Twyman, Otomewo. That was a nice surprise, as Arif mentioned. Chris Boyd over at Caleb Evans for now, anyways. I think things will change as we move forward with that. Bynum still overseen. You guys mentioned that earlier. Still feels like it's Bynum's job to lose there. Patrick Jones getting first in line in, in you know, reps after Hunter and Zedarius. Wanham, I'm sure, right there, neck and neck. That was great to see. And then again, those fifth and sixth wide receivers. Myron Mitchell for now as the number five. Tristan Jackson, Jalen Naylor right behind him. That was worth noting. Finally, it feels a little weird for me. You guys tell me what you think to see Blake Brandle as the backup left tackle. I don't know how he's looked, how much he's progressed. Sixth round pick out of Oregon State 2020. I know there's like no magical answer there. These are backups for crying out loud, but you know, they're not pro bowlers. I get it, but I, I didn't even know if he would make the team in 2020 when he was drafted. Not only has he stuck around the past two seasons, apparently he's developed enough to now become the backup left tackle, which if Darisaw would ever miss any time, those are some big shoes to fill. How's he looked out there in the second team? Because that one surprised me a little bit. 
Well, I'll say this. I think that uh, should any of the tackles go down, their first option will be Ole Udo. I think he's going to swing around. Okay, more of a and, swing. Uh, having okay. something like, yeah. So I think Blake Brandle would be kind of just a backup backup. I think that they would have Udo play either. Um, either way, I think Brandle has played better than you would expect a sixth-round pick to play. Um, I wouldn't say that if he's in a game, I'm comfortable. He's no Rashad Hill, right? Like, I think that Hill was a really <laughs> remarkable backup, even if he was, like, kind of not great starter, right? And that's just kind of the situation you find yourself in. But Brandle, I think, is 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 better than a lot of backup tackles you'll find around the league. Uh, and I think he, I wouldn't say hold it down against a top-level talent, but, you know, he does well enough for you to be able to kind of game plan around, you know, missing somebody like Christian Derrissaw. That's at least the impression I'm getting from a couple of reps in camp. So it's a lot of words from a really small sample size. Well, that's surprisingly actually gives me a little peace of mind. Makes me feel better. Did Ole Udo get screwed being moved to guard? Like, do you think he's just a much better tackle? Was that was that yeah. why Ole Udo was so yes. penalty prone? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm sure there's other reasons he was penalty prone, but the speed at which, you know, uh, defenders come at you from the inside position versus the tackle position, I'm sure it played a really big role. He is just naturally a tackle. He's like 35-inch arms. He's like 6'7 or something like that. Like, he's a huge guy that's really only built to play tackle in the NFL and in college, which is what he played. Um, it was just not a good position for him to play. Um, but, you know, it, I mostly liked how he looked. Uh, that Monday night scrimmage was alarming in terms of how bad he was there. But, you know, for the most part, he has been fine. I mean, he looks like a tackle, which I think is better than when he played guard, where mm -hmm. he looked like a tackle. I'm pretty devastated to see that Zach Davidson is TE4 behind Ben Ellefson. Um, oh, Arif, God, he's been I awful. give you 10 seconds to gloat about this. Uh, he's raw sushi. I'm right about this. Zach Davidson's your right. guy. He's not my guy. Right. I'm really glad. Uh, ben Ellison, also really great, great blocking tight end. Six, he is good five, at the job four, he's being three, asked two, to do. One. Zach Davidson. Okay, that's not. enough. That's enough. That's enough. You're done. You're done. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. propagate. I don't want to propagate any more um, propaganda. You know, in favor of Ben Ellison against Zach I'll, Davidson. How about this? I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. Uh, team release depth charts in the preseason are fake and don't mean anything. Does that make you feel better? Because that's yeah, true. It kind of does. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we await the arrival of guest of honor Ron Johnson, but until he arrives. I'd love to talk about the defensive end or edge rushing position or outside linebacker, however, however you want to define it. Uh, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, from a ceiling standpoint, Luke Inman, what are the Vikings potentially sitting on with that pairing? Um, obviously, seems like the sky's the limit, but a couple guys that have been injured of late. Um, tell me, the, give me the best case scenario for Smith and Hunter. Yeah, you know, I was doing a little bit of research and new at Donatel defense, Mike Zimmer gone. Okay, forget about that era. Fresh start, hit the reset button. Here we go. Easy to forget. There were second in sacks last year with 51 sacks, ranked behind just the Steelers with 54. What's wild about that, they didn't have one single player post double-digit sacks. I think it was Wanham that led the team with eight. So I know a lot of that is what Arif brought up. Great point last week. Zimmer was the worst when we've seen it two-minute drills. But the other 56 minutes, he was still one of the better defensive coaches scheming up great looks for his personnel. This year, you head in without guys like Everson, Barr, Sheldon, Michael Pierce, uh, Kenny Willekes, I think, had 
two and a half, three sacks. Combined for 16 sacks total, that's now left on the table. Little meat on the bone to be had. And when you look at Zedarius and Hunter, now under Mike Smith, who they brought over from Green Bay, who I really like. And if they can stay healthy, right, that's the big question. I think a combined 25 to 30 sacks out of the two of them isn't out of the question. Their best seasons, according to PFF, both came in 2019. They both posted a, a nearly identical grade, a 90 grade, and had a collective 31 sacks. So, yeah, that was three seasons ago. And in the NFL, that's an eternity. But if you're asking what the ceiling is, I absolutely think 25 sacks, if not more, is attainable. This, of course, just always comes back to that magic question. Can they stay healthy? I think even fans... They'll say, hey, I'm not greedy at this point. Can I just get like 13, 14, maybe 15 games out of both of them? I'll take that at this point with those two. Yeah, no doubt. Is it a concern to anyone that Ed Donatel only produced a guy in three seasons with Denver? The most that he produced was an eight-sack player. No one ever had more than that three years at the helm in Denver. Anybody worry about that? He's had to deal with a lot of injury, right? Bradley Chubb's been off and on. I know. What was did he had he had Von Miller during Von a little run there? It was Von. Yeah, yeah okay. but uh, I don't right. think did Von Miller have a healthy season there while right. Donatel was there? I don't know. So it sounds like you're not concerned. Got it a little one. Not that concerned. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's not apples it, to apples. Really, yeah, I, it would be really difficult for Daniil Hunter if he plays 17 games for him to only produce eight sacks, right? Like I just I don't believe that would happen. So, Daniil Hunter, for his career, has a sack every 65 snaps. Zadarius Smith has a snap or a sack every 87 snaps in his career. So, if you give them 800 snaps each, they would combine for like 12 and a half and 9, like 21 and a half for the season. That's pretty good. good. If they're averaging double yeah. digits, they're healthy enough to, to get 20-plus sacks combined. I think Vikings fans would take that. Yeah. Wow, one every 65 snaps, goodness. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, I, if, I, I think, I'm, I'm not not that concerned about Ed Donatel's history of pass rusher uh, production. Yeah, I think if you look at 2019, like Luke said, I mean, I feel like that's a good doppelganger because that was the year where Zedaria Smith paired up with Preston Smith, so two elite pass rushers on that team. And there's only so many sacks to go around, but they combined for 25 and a half. Um Hunter was, again, a top 10 pass rusher that season paired with Everson Griffin, and they had like 22 sacks combined. So I think that there's plenty of room for two guys to have double-digit sacks. I don't think that's outrageous to, to count on. I think health is probably the bigger concern. So, you know, Luke Braun, is that a concern for you? Yeah, it's always going to be with just the nature of those injuries. They're similar injuries, just at different parts of the spine. But it's those disc injuries aren't the kind of thing like like a foot injury where you fix it and it's fixed. Um, it's the kind of wrong kind of compression, the wrong impact at the exact wrong angle can always re-aggravate itself. That's the kind of thing we saw with J.J. Watt. That's why he missed like a bunch of years in a row. And it's just always going to be a really low level risk it's never going to be a 50 percent risk or anything but it's just it's never going to be back down to zero so there will always be that kind of concern um but that's just like who these guys are now and so they are as healthy as they are going to get um and so you know it's correct to move forward with them this is as good as it gets 
The time has arrived. We welcome in our guest of honor every Thursday. His name's Ron Johnson on Twitter at 3RonJohnson, hosting the Ron Johnson Show, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Ron, we don't have tinfoil hats today. Sorry to disappoint. I know that was a request of yours. But I want you to tell me this. Vikings are going to Vegas this weekend. They got a lot of rookies. They got a lot of guys with money. Are the coaches going to be running bed checks? Are they going to have curfews? How does it work when you go on the road in the NFL? So it's one of two things. Like, yeah, they're going to definitely do bed check. Um, They're going to have to keep an eye on guys. Um, It's not so much of bed check. It's who's in the bed. Uh, Because if you have a good roommate and you're like, hey, I just I flew something in to Vegas. I got, you know, she's going to come up for a minute. Hey, I need the room. Or if you're a vet, and you don't have to have a roommate because I think once you're a vet, you can pay the other half of the bill. And, you know, I don't know the rules anymore, how they work that. But usually vets don't have to have a roommate. Rookies do. Uh, but then you're good. Then it's like, hey, let me just figure out when security is not paying attention to the elevator. I mean, this is Vegas. So there's all kind of ways in and out uh, of getting, uh, getting a, a friend to come visit you. Um, there's no more COVID restrictions with that. So I'm guessing they can still visit people. And I mean, who wouldn't want to fly to Vegas? And who doesn't have somebody in, you know, that's willing to fly to Vegas? I mean, that's 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 the only thing I think they'd be worried about. But if I'm a rookie, I'm focused. Like, I'm not worried about that because that'll come. Uh, you know, the veterans, if they know they're not playing, who knows what they do? They might fly their wife out, you know, have their family out there. Who knows? But uh, if I'm a rookie uh, and if I'm a bubble guy, I'm not going to make any mistakes to be put off this team because that's the last thing you need from TMZ is so-and-so from the Vikings was out at 3 a.m. on the strip, got cited for a DUI or something like that. Because, I mean, honestly, if you're a bubble guy, they're going to cut you. Um, you know, like if, if you're if you're one of the best players and you're out at 2 a.m., they'll maybe punish you a little bit, but you're good to go. So, but no, if I'm a rookie, I'm getting my rest because this is my time to shine and prove that I deserve to be on this team. Because once you make the team, I mean, you're going to get four or five, six hundred thousand dollars. You can fly yourself back to Vegas with a friend. So I, that's what I hope they do. Ron, when I was a young, naive kid growing up watching football, I just thought if you had like a Randy Moss, you could just throw it up to Randy Moss every play or Barry Sanders. You just hand it off to Barry every snap. Time goes on, I start to understand how important coaching is, watching Bill Belichick and the dynasty with the Patriots, now Sean McVay and what he's doing to change offenses in the league, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid, so on and so forth. How advantageous is it to have one of these elite coaches now in the NFL? How do you view coaching in the NFL? And who are some of the coaches that you really are fond of watching in the game right now today? advantageous i like it you went to the rolodex like does it give them you know an extra Uh, you know tom brady adds an extra couple (laughs) wins to every season how many wins does a guy like andy Reid or bill belichick add no and this is what i say to this coaching has nothing to do with um what people assume i think coaching is about managing people and quasi says it best you know when you're the ceo or you're the gm You know, he's saying he's the general manager. He's managing people. So if he's the general manager managing people, when he hires a coach, which is a CEO, as PJ Fleck would put it, he also has to manage the people, but from a different perspective. Uh, A GM manages the entire organization. He has the front office, the players, the coaches, everything. A coach, drill it down. He manages the players. And so when it comes to a CEO of a football team, uh, I think it's very important to have a, a, a innovative guy. So two things, either innovative guy or a guy like an Andy Reid 
or, you know, we saw what Bruce Arians did. That's why he moved over for Todd Bowles, a guy that's willing to delegate. If you have a coach that can't delegate and can't trust in his staff, what's the purpose of being a coach? Like the whole purpose is I'm going to get guys in here that I can trust. And we know that's why Zimmer was always trying to get older guys because that's who he trusted. Uh, whether that worked or didn't work, that's what his mindset told him. I got to trust these older guys that have done it for years. Um, guys like Andy Reid, guys like Bruce Arians are different. They're like, man, I'm going to get some of the youngest, smartest minds because I also know they're going to gel with the players. And so when you look at a Byron Leftwich, he can walk into any room and people are going to listen to him and players are going to get along with him. Uh, you look at a Kevin O'Connell and you watch him interact with the players. They like him. They get along with him. They, they want to come over. They don't feel like nervous about dancing on the field in front of them. Um, that's what you got to look. I mean, Spice Adams, my best friend, put out a video today. Hilarious. Like he showed player warmups when we played in 2002, three, four, five and player warmups today. It's dead on. Like back in the day, it was all the like the, the, the stadium tunes of I don't even know what song it is, you know, but then the guy screams and, you know, whatever. Now it's like, you know, future. You know, you got little baby, you got the baby. I mean, you got all the, the, the tunes you got Antonio Brown's probably going to get played in some stadiums, which that's going to be horrible. But I mean, we see Adam Thielen doing his dance in the training room. So it's all about, it's all about like who can manage these players. So yeah, I, I think uh, a guy like uh, Sean McVay, a guy like Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, uh, they do give you extra wins because when it all comes down to the end, they're not afraid of analytics. Uh, they're not afraid of, like you're saying, just throw it to Randy Moss, where some older coaches tend to like, oh, well, it says we should just probably run the ball and then punt here and then try to play defense. Where a lot of these young guns now, and even Belichick, Belichick takes, takes a ton of chances. Uh, Andy Reid takes a ton of chances when you see all that crazy stuff he did with Pat Mahomes, uh, or Patrick, sorry, his mom would get mad if he said Pat. Um, and so when, when you look at that, yes, coaches like that, it is key to get them in. I think Kevin O'Connell has a chance to be the next Zach Taylor, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Shanahan. Uh, but again, this is just from the surface. We don't know because we're not going to see anything in the next three weeks. Let's be real. The play, the preseason, these, this is just an audition for the players to figure out where you fit because most of the pieces are in place. That offensive guard is still up for grabs. That center is still up for grabs. A uh, couple deep, the defensive back, Cam Dantzler versus uh, uh, Booth. That's up for grabs. Scene versus Bynum. Uh, that's up for grabs. Other than that, it's pretty much locked. So it's special teams, guys. Where does Brian Osamoa fit? Uh, so a guy like Kevin O'Connor, we're not going to see him in the next three weeks. Packers, September 11th, that's when we can say, hey, we have a Sean McVay or, or Matt LaFleur, or we have a SpongeBob. I mean, we just don't know. SpongeBob. <laughs> it's a reference Luke Brown really appreciates. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> Love it. Look, every year there are a few people who make the team who we didn't think were going to make the team or get cut who didn't think were going to get cut. What are the kinds of things, you know, you've been in a lot of camps. What are a lot the kinds of things you can look for in a camp to maybe figure out who those guys will be? Like, who are the guys that are running with the third team that are going to sneak onto this roster. 
how can we find that? What are the things that make those undrafted rookies or whatever suddenly somebody who can make the team? Yeah, well, if you look at the ones and the twos, you got 22 players. And then you got 44 with the twos, pretty much, give or take. So there's only about 12 spots left because 50, you go 56, but you got 53 you go with, and then 49 dress. Of that, so if you say I got 44 players and I can only get nine more, who are those nine? Where they're the special teams guys. So you'll see the guys that, that are making plays on special teams that are maybe in all four phases uh, playing, you know, most of the game, whether it is a, a, a Troy Dye or, or – or uh, Brian Asamoa, um, you know, Jalen Twyman, uh, you know, guys like that are going to have to play special teams. Um, and so that's where you'll see that extra nine guys, like the ones and twos, you can kind of figure out from who they're putting in the ones and twos. You, you know, you figure nine or 10 offensive linemen, nine, eight to nine or 10 DBs, uh, five receivers, you know, four, if they feel like, look, we're just going to go thin here, but probably not with this offense. So five to six receivers. Uh, and then the running backs are going to get tight because they have four running backs and a fullback uh, and they have two to three tight ends. So I think that's going to be the key is which running back gives you the most on special teams, uh, which running back do you feel like can really fill in as two if Dalvin Cook is out, Alexander Madison's two, who's our three, um, and who's the special teams guy. That's I, I think that's the only real way to see it. And then preseason, just keep an eye on the first group of like if the vet if the starters don't go, what's that first group that's out on the field look like? Those are right now who coaches just assume these are my guys on the field. Uh, and then the depth chart, even though they say this is an unofficial depth chart, uh, we're sitting in the room as a coach. I remember we had a big whiteboard that had magnets on it and we were pulling names, moving guys over. So uh, coaches are doing that every day. Like, you know, it's a, it's a daily thing where you come in and the coach, you know, the meeting, Co Coach Dungey will walk in and be like, hey, is this your five guys right now? And, you know, they would pull one guy off and he'd say, well, give me your top four. And you pick your four. And then the special teams coach would say, well, look, this is the receiver I want. Um, so that's some of the stuff you have to look at that, too. What receivers are getting a ton or DBs or linemen are getting a ton of special teams work. Uh, if you see like a defensive end, but he's playing like punt and punt block, then that means they really want to find a spot for him. Because uh, usually bigger defense ends don't get to play there. So, you know, look, at, I mean, we know DJ Wanham's good, but looking at some of these other young guys that were behind him, uh, you know, the Robinsons, the, the Twymans, all those guys, like, see where they put those guys on special teams. If they're in key positions, like wing or something where they normally wouldn't put a D in, that's a guy they probably want on the roster. Um, and then from a field goal standpoint, I think all the offensive linemen they put out there for field goal uh usually kind of gives you an idea as well like we know we have to use this guy so let's put him on 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 uh field goal but again th there's been weirder things that happen because there's always money at the end when you look at that roster that has to match the money that they can put on the field by the salary cap so sometimes there's cap casualties that you don't expect and those are the things we really don't know because rob brzezinski that's his job right now to go to the coaches and say give me your 53 and then he has to do his stuff and he'll say yep you're good or hey I don't know if you keep this guy. Is there a guy close, but you know, maybe a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars less? That's the guy we got to go with. So that happens too. Cool. That actually gets to kind of what I was about to ask, which was 
you know, sometimes, you know, we watch the preseason and, you know, this guy leads his team throughout the preseason in receiving yards. He's got, you know, a really great, you know, uh, set of highlight touchdowns. Or we, we see a guy that, you know, has like three sacks over three games. No one else in the preseason has done that for the team. And then they're cut. Sometimes they don't even make the practice squad, right? And and sometimes it just feels like, well, why even why even play the games if, you know, you're – you're the most productive player at your position throughout the preseason, and that's not even enough for you to make the team or even the practice squad. You know, I was going to ask, like, well, what is it that they're earning the production the wrong way? Because I know that it's been a conversation with quarterbacks in the past where, you know, some of the quarterbacks the Vikings have played that have been really good in the preseason, it turns out we're just making the wrong reason getting away with it. Um, but, you know, you, you've been talking also, like, about special teams. You've been talking about, you know, uh, ways to get players on the field. But, you know, sometimes it just feels like, what, what's all this for? If if I've got 300 receiving yards over three receiving games or over three preseason games, and I don't make the team, why was I even playing? Yeah. I, um, so part of that goes into who was covering them. You know, like if it's a used car salesman covering them, um, then you know, as a coach, you probably know, like, yeah, this this guy is horrible. Like the guy just you know fell down four times, and our guy's wide open. So that's part of it. You know, where, when are you getting your production? Are you getting your production in first and second quarter? Or is this like fourth quarter garbage time, two minute offense, Kyle Schloeder mm-hmm. driving us down to go win a game? Uh, it's just air it out, balls to the wall. I mean, you have to take that into account of what the situation was. Uh, what did Kyle Schloeder look like during third quarter? You know, was he just as productive in the fourth? Uh, and then you you hit the nail on the head with the bad reads. Sometimes guys are throwing the ball or running the wrong route and just getting lucky. Um, sometimes DBs just fall and a guy's supposed to run run routes. So he just takes off down the field uh, and the quarterback chucks it up. Quarterback sometimes doesn't know what he's supposed to do. So he just throws it up deep to, you know, he knows one guy's going deep. So he's like, all right, screw it. Let me just throw it. And the guy makes a ridiculous catch. Crowd loves it. Fans love it. It's on sports center. And then the coach goes back and watch film and be like, dude, like the curl route that we wanted you to throw to is wide open. What are you doing? Um, and that's the, that's again, that's stuff that coaches will never like, I mean, until they're fired and they are on some podcast smoking weed, coaches are never going to tell those true stories um, or until that player retires. Like Gronk, Gronk all of a sudden now is giving all the secrets away. Like, you know, he didn't show up to workouts. He recorded himself three times doing the same workout uh, with different shirts on and turned it into the team. Um, that's when we'll get that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, fake reti- I'm going to retire if you trade me to the Lions because I don't want to play for Coach Patricia. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You don't get that until those guys are done and away from the organization and then, you know, get a little drink in them uh, and then they'll, they'll, they'll tell you everything you want to know. Uh, but, yeah, like as far as guys blowing assignments, uh, that kind of stuff, uh, you just don't get it a lot. Like, Kurt, like I, I got you to talk to B.C. Johnson. Uh, we were <laughs> we were getting our COVID test at the same time at the facility. So he and I were in line talking, and it was, I think, I don't know if it was the Colts game maybe or Jacksonville, but B.C. Johnson runs like a third and seven. He runs like a four-yard route, gets tackled, comes out the game. And I'm like, dude, what, what were you thinking? And I think it was Jacksonville because uh, Adam Thielen was hurt. And he's like, yeah, I know I was supposed to run a six-yard route and fall for seven. I ran a four-yard route and fell for five. So that's why, yeah, that that didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. So that happens all the time, but we don't see it because in our mind it looks good and, and everybody's like, why did Kirk Cousins throw it there? You know, why would you run a four-yard route in, or, you know, whatever? Yeah, four-yard route, four route with a third and seven. Like that's the stuff where players make mistakes that we just don't see. Quarterback gets uh, 
gets uh, credit for a catch and throw. Receiver gets credit for a catch and, or a catch and run. Uh, but there's no first down. But when we look at the stats, it looks good. But the grade sheet, and that's why I hate PFF because they don't know that stuff. Um, so sometimes they grade players incorrectly where they would give like a player that ran seven routes short of the sticks, but he caught all seven of them, got no first downs. They would give that guy like a 97 because he was 100% on receiving that week. But then you go back to his coach. He's like, man, that dude was a 70. Like it was a C average game because this idiot never went to the sticks the entire game. Like he was just worried about making the catch versus giving us a first down. So that's that's where that comes in sometimes where we won't see what actually happened. The stats look great. Like you said, three sacks in the game. Maybe that guy wasn't supposed to duck under. He was supposed to hold the edge, but he just went after the quarterback because he's like, look, I want a sack. Like, I, I got to get on film for other teams to see me. And some players purposefully do that. They know they're going to get cut. Like, they're running with the threes and the fours. Oh, hey, hey drop back. Oh, hell no, coach. I'm going after the ball. Like, they're going to go get the quarterback. They might be celebrating, but the coach is in the headset. Like, this mother – like, so, you know, that happens too. <laughs> but they, they just want to need- do that. I think we need to stage a debate for a future episode, uh, PFF, good or bad, and have Ron and uh, Arif just go head-to-head. Um, I've got a couple more yeah, for Peterson. you here, Ron. Patrick Peterson has told you his thoughts about PFF. Like, Patrick Peterson says that all the time. Like, they keep giving oh, me these lovely. bad grades, and they have no idea what oh, coverage lovely. I'm in. So, I go with the players. PF, uh, Patrick Peterson was very upset that they gave him the Rondale Moore touchdown in Arizona. Yeah, I was about to say the Arizona year. game. He's got a legitimate grievance there. I was, I was just about to say yeah. the Arizona game. Yeah, broken they play. They changed all their grades though. They, they did. changed they it did. all up, and it likes them a lot more now. Yeah, really? Yeah, because yeah. they know they know yeah. players are paying attention to that crap. It's like, dude, stop, yeah. stop doing that. I'm not even covering this guy. I'm, I'm in zone. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. You're mad at me because I. Uh, you're mad at me because I helped the blown coverage, right? Yeah, exactly. Ron, as a player or as a coach, put yourself back in into those shoes. Did you care about the result of a preseason game, win or lose? Did that matter to you? Or as a player, was it more about what am I doing individually? As a coach, was it more about, like, are guys developing correctly? Did the win or loss matter to you? Uh, As a coach, no, not at all. Uh, we care more about grading. Uh, for me, like I said, I had Reggie, I had Pierre, uh, Anthony Gonzalez, Roy Hall, uh, Marvin Harrison, uh, and so, and then like Blair White from Michigan State. So, and I was the assistant receivers coach. So, Clyde Christensen was the uh, offensive coordinator, pass game coordinator, uh, slash receivers coach, and I was his assistant. So, my only job, you know, we were just watching the players in the preseason because of like give grades of like who we thought should make this team. Um, and then as I started watching, because Pierre was out of Mount Union, so nobody knew who Pierre Garçon was. So as I watched him and watched him work and watched, I told him right away, I'm like, man, this kid could be good. Like he needs to make this team, even though he's from a small school. Uh, he started off with like when they, you know, when, he, when you come in from Mount Union, all the Ohio State guys are lining up in front of you in drills. You know, all the Michigan State guys want to get in front of you in drills because they're like, dude, you're from Mount Union. We're from the Big Ten. Um, you know, all the Miami you know, you know, all, Syracuse, all those big schools are like, man, Mount Union get to the back. And then when you start to watch the, the routes, the tape, I'm like, hey, Pierre, like, don't be afraid to be with the twos now, man. Like, you're 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 killing it. And so that's what coaches know. We didn't care. The only thing I say as a player we didn't want to do was go to overtime. 
like we we would rather lose than go to overtime so when it was like a two-point game uh and we were coming down you know to score they're like either score or kick the field goal like whatever we do uh or no sorry six if it was like a six-point game they would be like look score and make sure you make this extra point like we whatever you do or if it's a seven-point game and we score go for two like do not kick the extra point like for whatever like we do not want to tie this thing up to go to overtime in preseason so that's what you know like ray lewis i would always hear him screaming at the billick whenever we tie you know it was uh we were down one to kick extra point you could hear ray yelling like brian you better go for two like i'm not staying out here all night like that's that's the only thing we cared about in preseason was not tying games up uh wins losses no because you know it's going to reset we've seen teams go oh and four in the preseason and then go to the nfc playoffs or a championship game you know so it doesn't really matter we've seen i think the lions that one year won every preseason game and lost 17 or lost 16 games like so Mm -hmm. yeah it it doesn't really matter like i I would rather lose all the games and be productive during the season because then we get knocked down a peg Versus maybe the Lions winning all four, feeling too confident. Like, hey, man, we're, we're probably good this year. And then 16 weeks later, like, man, we suck. We are the worst team in the history of football. Like, so, yeah, preseason, no, we never we never cared. We just did not want overtime. Like, that was our only rule. Uh, as a rookie, I didn't understand it. As a vet, like, second, third, fourth year, I'm like, oh, yeah, now I get it. Yeah, we do not want to go into overtime because it's not worth it. Just go for two, coach. We either win it or we lose it. Let's get out of here. And uh, I think that was it. Luke Inman, we got time for one more for Ron Johnson. Got anything? Uh, I'll go back to the uh, the coaching well, if you will. Uh, uh, great, great answer in response to that first question. I just saw this article, so it 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 came to the front of my mind from CBS. I think it was Cody Benjamin. He ranked the top. He ranked the head coaches first to last in the NFL, and I saw Kevin O'Connell's like twenty fourth in there. But I noticed Mike Tomlin was fourth. And Kevin Stefanski was, I think, 12th or 13th. So I look back on that era. I know Tomlin left during, I think it was year two of Leslie Frazier. Not much you could do there to retain him. And then Stefanski, I'm not sure really how much they, you know, they talked about retaining him and then they went back and forth and ultimately they didn't, obviously, as we know. But if KOC, you mentioned he could be the next uh, Shanahan or Sean McVay, and we obviously hope that's the case, but if he weren't to pan out here in this scenario, is it is it easy to go back and say, man, you had some huge opportunities, knowing what you said about how important coaching is, to keep these guys in-house like a Tomlin or a Kevin Stefanski, looking back? Uh, Tomlin, no. It's impossible at that point because you don't know what Leslie Frazier is going to give you. Um, the only thing you could have done was do like an Eric Bieniemy type thing, but that would have been dumb because mm. uh, Leslie wasn't at the end of his career. Um, whereas Andy Reid's at the end of his career, so you can kind of Eric Bieniemy that and say, hey, you're you're our head coach in waiting. Uh, if you get another job, we get it. But hey, we'd love for you to wait around and, and take the next job. We'll keep making you the assistant head coach. Uh, first, the Fansky again. That's a tough one because Zimmer was actually good. Like the defense was good. Uh, the team was productive. Um, so it's tough to say they should have cut ties with Zimmer at that point because there was nothing really showing you that Zimmer wasn't going to get it done the next two years. Like it hadn't, it hadn't panned out where the defense was going to have a ton of injuries and they were going to go from, you know, I think they were like a top five defense in a lot of categories to now like 25th, 31st, 32nd. Um, You just did not know. So 
no, I can't, you can't, you can't look at Stefanski or Tomlin and say, man, I wish we could have kept him in house. Cause there's, there's no real way. I mean, unless I'm an owner and I'm like, look, I know I'm firing Zimmer if he doesn't get us to a Super Bowl in the next two years. That's like a private conversation that you go tell that Stefanski and you say, hey, look, this is the plan. If you stick around, it's your job. Um, but then, you know, like the Dolphins, Dolphins, sorry, uh, there's no real rule around collusion. Like, so if they wanted to collude with Stefanski and come up with a way and say, hey, if you throw a couple more interceptions and get Mike fired, it's yours. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole different, you know, can of worms. But no, I don't I don't think we can ever look back and say we didn't think Zimmer was the guy for the job because he had the best like one of the best defenses in the NFL for a long time. Uh, it just the wheels fell off the last two years with injury contract, you know, way too many guys got paid on that defense. Um, quarterback was making the most at one point. So that hindered a lot of signings. So, yeah, so there was there was some apples and oranges in there that you can't really compare and say, oh, we should have kept those two guys. No, unfortunately, no, it's nobody on there I can think of. And then even once guys are gone, like unless Andre Patterson becomes a great head coach one day, even that, you know, like firing Zimmer and not making Andre Patterson the head coach. Mm. Again, we, we don't, we'll never know because how it, we don't know how long it's going to take Andre Patterson now to kind of get back up there and, and to, for people to say, hey, this guy maybe could be a head coach. Tremendous stuff, Ron. Uh, tell people where we can watch you on Sunday with coverage of the Vikings game. Uh, we're going to be on only, OnlyFans.com. Um, shirtless pictures only. Okay. No. <laughs> We've all got subscriptions. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing but toe pics uh, from, from ladies at the mall that have donated their, their Rex Ryan. Pictures. Okay. Rex um, Ryan lover. Okay. We got a promo code for this, I think. <laughs> promo code is Big Toe. It's uh, Daniel Carlson. We're going to have Daniel Carlson foot pictures on there uh, barefoot uh barefoot kicks only <laughs> from 40. <laughs> no uh so yeah so so uh sunday uh two hours before kickoff tune in to fox 9 we'll be on for the uh pre-game and then post-game of course vikings fan line uh we'll be breaking that down and then uh we're gonna try something monday we'll see how this goes with me and sam we're maybe gonna try to get some fan questions that don't get answered on fan line that we'll try to answer on the uh, pod as well. And maybe maybe get some fan video. I don't know. Maybe some fans are willing to say, I wanna be on video and they'll submit their questions via video. Um, and then we'll answer that as well. Like 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 a, a extended uh, fan reaction segment where we just get the fan reactions from the game. Even though it's preseason, maybe somebody has a hot take like, hey, Kellen Mond is a start quarterback. Cause you know that's coming at some point. If he has a ridiculous game, like it's coming. Like, why, why are we keeping this Kirk Cousins guy around? Kellen Mond needs to run the show. So, hey, I'm looking. I'm, I can't wait for that. This is this is the fun time of year when all the crazies come out. Uh, they want to talk about players that <coughs> are not going to make it, but for some reason they love them. I don't know why. But yeah, that's where you can find us. We might be opening a can of worms asking for fan videos after having talked about <laughs> OnlyFans, but we'll uh, we'll see what we get. That's uh, that's, that's going to be, be fun, edited, Ron. Though. They could be edited. And then yeah. we can do a <coughs> stuff we'll we put the blur show, box show where we just yeah we yeah. Just blur up fans and be like look at this this guy here with seven kittens and milk on his chest like I mean who knows what we'll see <laughs> it's weirdly specific <laughs> and and with that we thank you Ron appreciate it we'll talk to you next appreciate week appreciate it no thank you <laughs> hey thanks, thanks Ron Ron, see Ron you later, Johnson no, no, of the Ron Johnson show. Ron Johnson hosting the uh, the roundtable on Locked On Sports Minnesota tomorrow. 
And then he's got his pod Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays on Locked On Sports Minnesota. Uh, let's wrap the show with some party fouls. I think we've got some music. Let's run it. Uh, party fouls this week. I'll start. I'll give you a second to think about it. Hard Knocks. So I watched it on Tuesday night. Kind of soured on Hard Knocks in recent years because I think it's it's a little bit too, there's too much puffery. Uh, it's not unfiltered yeah. enough. There's not enough critique in it. Uh, they don't want to showcase anybody in a bad light. First of all, it was like 44 minutes long, the episode. I mean, what what kind of HBO show is giving you less than an hour in 2022? Not happy with that. Secondly, they introduced us to like one player. Like I know some of the coaches are interesting. Dan Campbell is like the face of the team, apparently. But Aiden Hutchinson, like that's the one guy you're going to introduce us to? Cool. I mean, the one guy who like everyone already knows. Uh, I, I didn't love it. Didn't love the episode. Didn't love how short it was. Didn't love how little connection I have to the players on that team. Because they got to build some stories in about these guys trying to make it, and I didn't feel like I met any of them. The, uh, the individual clips that were shared on Twitter were much more compelling than actually the whole episode. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, the, I haven't the watched Billy it Jean. yet, but yeah, I've, I've heard very similar yeah, reviews from what both you guys are summarizing right now. Party foul on uh, Kyle Slaughter fans. You're wrong again. He just got waved <laughs> by the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> It's all part um, of a bigger plan, Arif. Okay. Yeah, he's, uh, as 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 uh, Rod and I were alluding to, given how Kyle Slaughter performed in the Vikings preseason, making the wrong reads and getting away with it, it turns out that that is not a sustainable way uh, to continue winning at the quarterback position. Uh, USFL All Star Kyle Slaughter, where you know I think the voting was a little bit wrong on that one. Um, Ends up getting a, a tryout with the Jaguars, signs with the Jaguars, and then gets cut by the Jaguars before cutdown day. So it is on to team number 27 for Kyle Sloter, who has now been rejected from 26 NFL teams. And yet there are still Vikings fans who think that he is going to be the answer at quarterback three, two, or even one. Is that what's the real number? teams got to collect them all, catch them all. Well, no, it, it is. It, it, it's he's he's it's he's a... tried out with or been in a building with twenty six NFL teams. No, and Jacksonville wow. twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. So if if you ever watched a USFL game where, which I understand if you haven't, but if you ever watched a USFL game where Kyle Slaughter is playing, they relentlessly brought up that he had been connected to or under contract with 25 different NFL teams. Uh, and that was, that included tryouts. So it was like a little bit, you know, whatever, but you know, he signed uh, contracts, I think with five different teams uh, and then tried out with 20 different teams. And now Jacksonville is number 26. Uh, and so uh, he's, he's on to team 20. He could do the whole circuit. That's Jeez, just that's an incredible. irrational confidence guy. Like he he thinks oh, in yeah. his heart of hearts that he belongs as a starter in the league and that he's getting he's getting like screwed out of these opportunities. Like that's what I guarantee that's what his he parents agree. <laughs> Party fouls, one of the Lukes, go. I have another one from Hard Knocks. Uh it is right before 
that viral clip of Billie Jean and the lions going. It was very fun, all of them singing together. But right before that, that cut off from that clip was Aiden Hutchinson starting with the wrong verse, completely false starts on it, and gets booed uh, by his teammates. Good. I'm glad and just in general, yeah, new for the Lions. Um, but Aiden Hutchinson's vibe is a catastrophe. I don't know. I, if we were going on pure vibes, that dude doesn't make a team. I don't like, like it. We, we had we had a, a really poor class of edge rushers from a vibes perspective this year. I will say yeah. that. And like him disparaging the guy in the cold tub for going to Memphis when he like yeah. was from Nigeria and had no clue mm. like what American colleges were like. That that was just dumb. Come on, man. Not everyone can like have Michigan in their like lineage and just have a ticket there like you. And then heavily featured a moment where he just gets absolutely destroyed by TJ Hawkinson. Like you are not making this dude look as good as they say he is. <laughs> Maybe that's the story. Maybe that's why they introduced Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> They're setting up he, like, his grows downfall. as a player and a person. There's catharsis. They better hope. Uh, any more party foul? Luke Inman, close us out. Well, here's the deal, guys. I know this is a football podcast. We bring you endless Vikings news and context. So excuse me for the next 15 seconds. Party foul on the fans who still think the New York Yankees are the best team in baseball. Guys, they were 16 and 16 last month, and they're 2 and 7 this month. The wheels are falling off right now in New York. They're no longer the best team in baseball. They're no longer the favorite to win the World Series. If you're picking a team in New York, it's the New York Mets, but by far the team to beat in the AL right now is the Houston Astros. Forget about all this talk about the New York Yankees winning the World Series because it's not happening. What wow. is baseball? <laughs> I'll tell you about it when you're old enough, kid. <laughs> what is the Yankees' record since the Don LaGreca rant where he went off on the radio? Yeah, I got no, that. Michael. It's, uh, okay. Eight and eight and twenty-two. If that's if that's real and you're not just making that, that up, that's amazing. Absolutely not. But <laughs> okay. they're not good, guys. They're not good. They're not as good as okay, everybody thinks. Just, uh, they're just there's... not. Okay, so uh, I am unfortunately quite involved with uh, the Twitter accounts of people who happen to be from Seattle. I won't explain why. Uh, I hear the Mariners <laughs> are good. <laughs> Uh, Mariners are yeah. 10 and a half back from Houston, but their record is very good. They're better than the Twins, 61 and 52. Yeah, they're solid, man. And they're young, too. Wait, they're probably hold on. Being... They're 10 and a half back from Houston, and they're 61. How good's Houston? Holy crap. Houston's unbelievable, man. I'm telling you, everybody assumes New York's <laughs> just going to run away in the AL. Houston has the same record as the Yankees right now, and that's what the Yankees starting 19 and 9 in the month of May. I mean, yeah, Houston's well, incredible. Is, is, Houston's the team to is, beat for sure. But Seattle, you're right. Seattle's above legit. board in Houston. Is everything above board? Things things running smoothly in Houston. It can't be. <laughs> There's no way. No. They're gonna be investigated no again. Did you guys? Oh, we've the the best they the baseball win. party foul of the week's got to be the guy with the cell phone. Did you see that? I actually did see that. Like he's he's sliding yeah. into third, and the phone fl flips oh, out of his pocket. Yeah. And then the and then the third base hump like points to it. He's like. Is that phone? <laughs> Didn't know what hey, you to do. You got a do. protection plan on that? Okay. <laughs> right, 
Is I think he phone confident crack. it takes the slide with a smartphone in your pocket? Yeah, right. He's checking his only the third base coach is texting. Right, that's yeah. the new thing. They're texting signs. They're texting signs <laughs> instead of yeah. Steal, steal. Oh, I love Hit it. Hit and run. I love it. Uh, the no Minnesota bars. football party. No. <laughs> no signal. Mondays and Thursdays. If you subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota, you get this show. You get the Ron Johnson show. You get Superior Sports Talk with Luke Inman and Reggie Wilson. Uh, make sure to leave us a rating and a review as well. For Arif Hassan, Luke Braun, Luke Inman, and a big thanks to our Thursday guest, Ron Johnson. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Matt DeBritz runs the show from behind the scenes. We appreciate his work as well. We'll talk to you on Monday for a full Vikings Raiders recap and check out our postcast immediately after the game. Luke Braun and myself, Luke in Las Vegas. That'll be up at Locked On Sports Minnesota as well. So long from the Minnesota Football Party.